Welcome to another episode of the Duke Pod. I have a super special guest today, Mark Kotrachi. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Nice. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's uh, it's 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 cool that it's like a real estate podcast, but I think your story is like so fascinating, and the fact that I know you, I was like, oh, you got to come on the show. Uh, tell us uh, something about your story, your life, uh, all these cool things. And uh, also, it's very motivational, right? So uh, you are a motivational person for a lot of people out there. How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. Sometimes it's like, a, it's also like a weird thing because I feel like I'm just myself and like a normal person. Uh, you know, I'm just like a father. I'm like a son, a friend. I'm like a regular guy. But um, I also like, I feel from you know, my experiences, I have a lot to share uh, with those around me and, um, and, I, and people seem to enjoy it. So that's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm gonna continue doing that. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, your story is incredible. You've come a long way, uh, but I do know you from a long time ago before all this stuff happened, which is really cool. Uh, and uh, we actually met because we went to teacher's college in Trent, do you remember those years? Of course. Yeah. I mean, they, sometimes it seems like it was just yesterday and other times it was like forever ago, considering all the things that happened in between, for, probably for both of us. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I definitely remember those days well. And honestly, my Trent days are some of my fondest for sure. Yeah, I got to share a cool, uh, a few cool memories with you because I think we had quite a few classes together. Um, I think most people are in similar classes, whatever level you're in. But you and our third friend of ours, of ours mutual friend uh joe and i actually uh had made a band for our class together we actually played instruments and we sang yeah, yeah. songs you remember that yeah route 66 66 <laughs> yeah, yeah it was good and it was part of a it started just as a class project but it became more of like a it was a friendship and a bonding time and it was just good to play music yeah like we just re- we were like oh let's like make a band and like i didn't actually know how to play guitar even though i had like strum it a few times so you actually totally taught me how to play guitar uh you can't buy what was the instrument you were playing i was playing drums but i i, I knew like a couple of things on guitar but i i was playing the drums and i i think we were all kind of learning as we as we went <laughs> you played the you played the what was that called the uh the little drum the the, like... the, the djembe Djembe. Right. You play the djembe, and I remember I was strumming, and then you were trying to like knock it. You're like, so I like hit the beat, the chords, and then you looked at me. You're like, oh my god, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but and then you're like, oh, calm down, calm down. A couple of weeks was, uh, I mean, how incredible, how much you progressed in in by the time we yeah. actually do the performance was awesome. Yeah, actually, we uh, like, so yeah, so I, I learned like a few songs once I figured out rhythm which has been a problem in my life uh, <laughs> uh do you remember the songs uh we played i know we played one was i think it was by outcast bombs over baghdad i think no we played uh hey yeah by outcast hey yeah hey yeah yeah that hey, was, yeah, yeah. knocking on kevin's so door you know what honestly i i was a hard time i was thinking about this today before you, i had you on i was like what were all the songs i remember hey yeah because everyone had a good laugh when we when we started that one um and uh i think tom petty knocking on or uh knocking on heaven's door and uh bob dylan and then um tom petty was learning to fly i think yep you're right that rings a <laughs> bell yeah and all joe joe had no musical ability so he was the singer and uh, i think if you remember that class was like a like a one to three p.m or something 
and he was just drinking like vodka during the class. So he oh, had the courage to he had the courage to say that. I don't know if he should probably say that. I'll make sure he listens to this episode after. <laughs> He's the only oh, one that's actually a full time teacher out of all of us. <laughs> I don't know if he'll like that, but <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And then the only thing, other thing I remember with you, other than we got to hang out a bunch more doing uh, just other stuff, get to know each other, was I always remember you in class as someone that had his arms crossed all the time. Like you had like a position. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine that when you're writing this book or any classroom setting, you're like just lean back and cross your arms anytime you're like thinking or something. Just lean back to think. Yeah, yeah. I remember always looking at you at the beginning. And you're like, this guy's always got his arms crossed, you know. <laughs> oh man. And well, I that's actually, good. Backtrack there. I want to clarify that you and I were not drinking for that presentation. <laughs> that's true. We did not. Uh, we probably celebrated after, but uh, we. There's no way uh, someone like me who could barely play the guitar <laughs> could have a drink and then perform. You know, like I was so nervous. Um, yeah, but that, that was a good time. That was a good time. And then since then, we've gone on to you know, damn, we're like your father, I'm a father. We yeah. have our lives. Uh, and uh, you actually wrote this book. Um, uh, tell me about the book. Yeah, so I actually have a copy right here. It's uh, called The Cycle of Life, The Power of Saying Hello. Um, and it's basically about my bicycle trip around the world from China back to Canada. Um, the trip itself uh, took me two years uh, through 40 countries and five continents. It was awesome. I got to experience uh, some incredible cultures throughout the world. I also, you know, got a great lesson in how to fix a bike. Um, and uh, essentially it was, uh, it was a personal journey. It was a journey I also wanted to use to give back. And now as a teacher, you know, we went to, you know, we did our bachelor of education together. Um, I was teaching for two years in Southern China on the island of Hainan uh, in a city called Sanya. Um, but um, it was actually a number of years before that where I had this idea, even before, you know, I met yourself, I had this idea to ride a bike around the world. Um, and it was a number of years of kind of dreaming and thinking about it. But when I got the job in China, I had a two-year contract. I knew after I finished that job, my goal was to kind of set out on this adventure back to Canada. Because um, I knew I wanted to ride a bike around the world. I just didn't know where, didn't know when, how I was going to do it. Um, but eventually, uh, I kind of set the date. And that's when kind of all the wheels started turning towards uh, that goal to kind of, you know, do a, go on this bicycle adventure. Um, I was able to uh, fundraise over $50,000 with uh, education. Yeah, a lot of money. And that was actually a thanks to friends and family to build schoolhouses along the way. Um, and so it was really this all-encompassing trip. It was a trip with purpose. But in the book, um, you know, the power of hello is kind of like the main message there. Um, what I'd like to inspire with the book is um, at the end of each chapter, there's sort of these inspirational bits that are connected to what I'm kind of experiencing on the road. Um, and the main thoroughfare through all of it is just connecting with people, saying hello. Um, and it, what really did get me through the trip was actually meeting people from all walks of life uh, and, um, and sometimes experiencing kindness in the most unexpected places. It was actually over 250 acts of kindness where people kind of share with me throughout the world. When, what, yeah. what, what, what do you classify as an act of kindness? Uh, like it, it's really dependent on, yeah, like the classification is, is really kind of like dependent on like how I feel about a certain situation, I guess. But, I see. So uh, some people didn't make it on the list because they weren't kind enough. I don't know. <laughs> Not exactly. Oh, just kidding. I'm oh, sure there is some, 
Um, like if someone just gives me some water, for example, you know, that happened pretty much every day. I'm not like multiple times a day um, or let me like fill my water bottles. I don't kind of not counting that. Um, but what I'm talking about typically is, um, you know, uh, someone like welcoming me into their home instead yeah. of like camping outside or like um, offering me to uh, sit with their family for dinner or like pay for my meal for no reason. Just and then just they want to like chat with me. Or, yeah, like, I think. I think yeah. when you're going around like on the bicycle around the world, like I started reading your book, I got through, uh, I, I want to be honest, I didn't read all of it yet because I only got it like a few days ago, <laughs> but uh, in, uh, my, my free time is after two kids and a full-time job is between 9, 15 PM and 10. So I read half of it though. <laughs> and uh, most people are like, I would imagine most people are like, where are you going to sleep at night? Like you, you, you must be in the middle of nowhere a lot of these days on the road and you would just knock on people's doors or you'd say hello and they'd invite you over or they let you camp on their land. Uh, but a lot of times they let you sleep indoors or something like that, right? Yeah. And that was pretty much from, you know, I mean, the bicycle was in many ways an open invitation. Uh, and, you know, I have all these, like my four bags and my tent on there. Um, and so I never went into any situation because I was typically going through some pretty, you know, um, challenging places throughout the world, especially in the first, you know, the first half of the trip. Um, and so and, and in many ways, the second half, too. Um, but depending on where I was in the world, I wasn't expecting, you know, someone to like roll out the carpet for me and give me a bed to sleep in and, you know, all those things. I kind of went in, per, you know, hoping just to simply cook my meal and camp. Uh, somewhere you know that I wasn't going to disturb anyone in the night um, kind of thing uh, nothing worse than you know basically trespassing on someone's land and then them finding you and telling you get out of, get out of there um, and so I was looking to avoid that and that never really happened because I always asked um, and you know and by asking it allowed me to kind of open up that conversation and meet people throughout the world yeah and one thing I found that was pretty cool is that you you try to learn few words of the language that you're at right uh whichever country and uh, i think people really love that when you make an effort on their own terms um i know that in my business with real estate if i meet someone that's chinese i might say ni hao or i uh and i enjoy that but you you know when you're out there in the world like um and you're trying to you know really you're really relying on people like so i bet you sometimes you could have been in trouble if you didn't if they didn't offer you like a place to stay sometimes <laughs> definitely oh, it's I like mean, pouring rain or something exactly and there was many examples um you know like even like where i sometimes at one point it was like pouring rain it was like february in turkey and uh just was one example and i it, I just needed to get out of the rain and there was it happened to be like a motel there and I went in I was like okay maybe I can like you know wait till this rain stops pitch my tent out back or like just like you know catch my breath really and then I went into the motel and then they just offered gave me a room <laughs> and so uh, like that you don't experience that every every day I didn't ask for the room um, but they I think they saw I was soaking wet and having a bit of a bad day and um, so many times people came to the rescue uh, you know and went above and beyond. In Turkey, they didn't. Uh, they gave you a room like for free, like uh, yep, for free. Yeah. So, so your thought process was: I see a, a motel. It's uh, like crazy outside. I just need to get inside. And your first instinct is you're gonna ask them to pitch a tent in the back instead of just asking them for a room. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, my so essentially that's my thought process. It's like, oh, they have like 
space. I can just like pitch my tent in the back. Maybe they'll charge me $5 or like something like that. Cause my budget every day was about less than $10. You know, now I, was, I ideally free camp and spent most of that on food. Um, right. you know, I was basically burning calories like crazy. Um, and so it was, um, it was basically, that was my, I never thought about it that way, but that is my thought process. There's a person that has a, a hotel and I, or a motel and I'm just, or a guest house and that yeah. happened more than once. Trust don't, me. Don't forget when you do one of your public speaking events, you could, uh, you could use that as a joke. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that. Sometimes it became so normal to me. It's sometimes people are like, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you started, you, you mentioned that you had a set date when you started the bike trip, right? So um, quick question here. Uh, and, and then the second one being like, one, did you start on the, did you leave on the day that you actually intended? And you actually left with basically no training, no physical training, riding a bike. I mean, you know how to ride a bike, but you are like, oh, I just did a whole bunch of 250 kilometer, like just random like trainings just to like get my body going you just took off and left right yeah so i mean the the first question did i so i set the date um my last date of like work was like i think it was july 4th i was teaching at this international school it was actually a alberta uh, certified school so i was working with kids from all over the world um but i know i finished my job on like the friday i think it was like the fourth um, and then on Monday, the 7th at like 9am, I like 8am, I like, shipped off that day and started to bike. So I had the date set for quite some time. And I use that as like my motivator, like, no, you can't just switch it to like next week or like the week after, like, and I started telling people. And the more I told people, the more I was like, oh, I, I have to do this thing. Um, There's no, it was, I was held accountable. And that's what I needed, the accountability. And I think that's what everyone needs. If you're trying to start something new or you're changing in, um, your life in some way, or even just like setting a goal is like setting those dates and then actually telling people about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, even though I was telling people about all these dates, I was obviously not, <laughs> I didn't train really for this. I, I kept telling people, and this is in the book as well, that I'll just get on shape in the road. Um, and pretty quickly, you know, the first day came, you know, I'd done a bit of biking around the area, but, um, to be honest, I sold my motorcycle, had a motorbike in China and basically, you know, uh, traded it in for a, a, a bicycle. It was much cheaper. It was a really cheap bicycle. It was only about $400. So I didn't have the best of anything. I wanted to save the money that I, I did have um, for experiences on the road and be able to actually do the trip. So you, you, you took off on a trip around the world with a mediocre bike. With a mediocre bike <laughs> and no knowledge of how to fix anything on a bicycle. Okay. Well, the only thing going for you is that you told everyone and therefore they held you accountable. <laughs> it's a yeah, good tip so, for people. Yeah, exactly. And I knew that, you know, it was just going to be me. And so it would just be me, you know, un understanding that this was um, maybe not the right thing I should be doing or I should have trained or like, you know, it was uh, a lot of me questioning myself at the beginning of the book and being really sore and miserable. <laughs> no, but you know what? That's, that's just how life is. I think, especially like you hear about these people doing these crazy stories, uh, something really motivational, something that like alters their life. And you're not going to learn everything beforehand. You're not going to be fully ready. Like you're going to learn a lot of it on the go. Uh, for sure, you got to have a positive attitude, right? And just expect that you're going to have bumps in the road, right? 
Yeah, it's not that I intentionally didn't want to train or learn about bicycles <laughs> more than I did. I was I was full time busy with work, um, and I mean I was just trying to prepare. You know, just to get the gear itself while living in China was an absolute. You know, it was really really wild to be able to do get everything together to simply get going. So oh, that uh, was like a mad scramble, like to like figure that all out and uh, like, or you did the best you can, but still, there was a lot of work. It was like a lot of work. I had to rely on a lot of people, um, you know, around me that like could order me in the things I needed to get that I couldn't get, you know, in the local area. There, like, there was like a bicycle shop or two, but it wasn't like the stuff that you need for cycle touring. Um, and like from like camp stoves and like that type of thing. There's not a lot of camping that go that went on, you know, where it was in China. So or in China in general. So um, it was more of like, you know, making sure I can get the supplies that I need uh, and then kind of getting the things I couldn't get along the way. So what do you what do you say to people that uh, that are going to plan something where they need a lot of gear? Like, do you have any advice for them in that yeah, perspective? I you don't need the fanciest of everything that like I would say if you if, if you are going to postpone your you know your adventure or even like a trip or something like that obviously we're in COVID times right now but like in the future like um it's you don't need the best of everything I had the I had the best of nothing um and so I made it work and uh you know things will break and 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 things are going to go wrong no matter what especially if you're doing some sort of long journey or trip or um, even if you're, you know, embarking in a new business or a new kind of adventure that way, then, I mean, things are not always going to go your way. You don't need to have the best laptop. You don't need to have the, like the best webcam or the best like microphone or like setup or whatever. It, it, what you need is, is those dates and that time and that determination to move forward. Right. Um, and I think, you know, obviously there's going to be bumps along the way, whether you're doing a bike trip or a new, or a new business. Yeah, that's that's really important that you said that because it is all about motivation and just pushing yourself, right? Uh, doing something uncomfortable uh, and trying something new. Uh, but actually, on this topic, before we move on to something else, uh, if you had to say two or three items that were the most useful during your trip, do you have something? What would you say? Uh, like you couldn't live without it. Uh, definitely. Well, actually, in terms of like ap actual daily life, like I had a, it was a whisper light stove from MSR. So it was just like a little camp stove. Um, like it's about like this small, it's so tiny, it fits in a little bag, um, it kind of folds up and, and with it, there's also uh, a gas container. So I knew I could find gas or like some sort of fuel. It, it's not some special like compact propane thingy. I could just fill it up at a gas station. Um, and so I use that and honestly, I could cook my meal wherever I was in the world. I cooked a ton of pasta. Um, and so, um, and ate the same kind of thing every night almost. So number one, definitely that, <laughs> um, other, other things, um, in terms of like gear, um, like you don't need like a fancy, like pillow, all those things. I actually just slept on a sweater or my towel for two years. <laughs> and so like, obviously I wash my towel when I could. Um, and so it, it's like, you don't need the fanciest of everything as I'm saying. But one thing I really did appreciate was like just a nice small full, full uh, roll up ground mat. Um, Cause I spent a lot of time sleeping on like rough surfaces or like cement or like ground or like so random uh, throughout the world. <laughs> sure. like, even on like a person's roof. Like, and, and so like, you know, it, it was, 
always nice to just, you know, I could rely that it was going to be semi soft and I could get asleep. Um, and the last one will be like, uh, this is like, you know, my like greatest tech that I had with me was I had a GoPro at the time. It was a three plus was like the new, the newest mm -hmm. thing out. I think they're on like, I don't even know what they're called now. Um, how, how many they're on, uh, probably like six or some sort of different name, but, um, it was really cool to document my trip that way. Cause you know, whenever I had enough battery, uh, whenever it was charged, I would just hit a button. It would film for like 10 seconds. And then maybe like a couple of days later, I'd film for 10 seconds, you know, and then I kind of put that all together into, into a video. Um, and, you know, for me, it, those are the memories that, you know, kind of bring me back. And when I'm like, kind of looking back at writing this book, um, I'm using my journals, um, you know, to kind of bring me into that moment, but also the videos to put me back in those spaces. Yeah. That's amazing that you collected a lot of those. Yeah. Um, okay. So your route, uh, you went through China. What was your general route? If you can tell the audience. So my general route was uh, starting in China, obviously not the typical starting point. I would say a lot of journeys that people do would start from like, I find a lot of cycle trips. I'm not like the only one to do like a long bike trip by any means. There's a tons of people before me and there will be lots of people afterwards. Um, but like typically people would start from like tip of Alaska. Like a lot of people do like Alaska um, all the way down to Argentina. Um, so many people would start in their home country, like, you know, Canada, United States, somewhere in Europe or wherever they're starting in the world. I met some Asian cyclists, some Japanese uh, cyclists as well. So typically you'd start from your home and then like come back in some way or like go to a certain point. Um, but my goal was the from because I was working to start and, you know, basically head west. Um, so obviously the wrong direction, but, um, and so, um, I was heading through Asia. I went through China, um, through parts of central, what they call like the stands. Um, and then eventually found myself down in India, which was not like the intended route. Um, and that was because of like visa restrictions. So things were always changing. Um, I never intended to go to Europe on the trip. Um, I thought I, when I actually planned the trip, it was safe to go through Syria. Um, and so that quickly also escalated and changed on my route as well. Um, and so, you know, that part of, uh, the Middle East wasn't possible. Um, well, and I, I wouldn't, I have no regrets because I was trying to, in terms of like the route, cause I'm so happy that I, even though I had to diverge like my intended plan, it actually allowed me to meet different people and see different parts of the world. I never knew, you know, existed or, or intended to see in the first place, which was really exciting. Um, and then eventually made my way down through Africa um, from Cairo all the way to Cape Town uh, in South Africa. And then uh, took an airplane from South Africa to Argentina uh, in Buenos Aires all the way back up to Canada um, and uh, through South Central America to North America. Amazing. Uh, so you must have been in the best shape of your life at, 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 the, end, <laughs> at, at the end. Like, you know, absolutely. I'll, I'll never, there's no way I can be in that kind of shape again I was riding especially at the end uh even though I was uh eating like <laughs> not some like you know I was eating as much as I could like I was quite quite skinny um yeah. and eating probably 4,000 5,000 calories a day um and you know uh but I was biking 130 150 kilometers every day so no yeah. that's so what is that? is that like eight hours of biking a day that's pretty much eight hours of biking. Like I don't, I never, I mean, some of the days it would be more, some days it would be less. 
it would be really dependent on, you know, some days I would ride 70 kilometers uh, if it was like a really tough day. Um, you know, sometimes it, it really depended on, you know, how far I needed to get. My longest day was just under 200 kilometers, um, which is a lot when you have like a 80 to 100 pound bicycle underneath your feet. Um, and so um, definitely, I think I had a really great uh, tailwind that day. So. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. I mean, uh, like I said, you, you must have been in great shape. And, uh, yes. you know, you you met your current wife at the in China, right? Uh, Eliza, I met her. She's very lovely. I met your daughter recently, too. So she's very nice. Um, and then you told Eliza that you're going on this trip. And what you know, she was your girlfriend at the time. But what what did she say when you told her about it? It's actually one of the uh, I'm glad you asked that because it's like a big a huge part of the, the trip, but also now uh, my modern life, you know, like where I am now in Canada. Um, and so, yeah, the, one of the first things I said to her when I said it on this trip was I'm going to ride a bike around the world. I think I was trying to impress her um, <laughs> in some way, but um, one out um, of every like five girls says, okay, I'm impressed. And then it worked. They're like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, Just kidding. Um, you know, we were, we were out and uh, I, I was introduced to her by one of uh, my, one of my friends. Um, and I think, I don't know, at the time she's probably like, you know, I don't know what this guy's saying, but I think, um, you know, she knew that it wasn't normal to have that as a dream, I think, as an idea that you wanted to do. Um, but, you know, over the, you know, the coming months as we spent time together, um, it became, you know, more and more apparent to me that I had like this other thing in my life that I also really wanted to pursue and what's our relationship. Um, and so that was a really difficult thing. Um, uh, you know, at the beginning of the trip and throughout the trip, because we decided that we were going to stay together. Um, and uh, she visited me on the trip um, in Italy and South Africa, but um, it was honestly really hard on, on her, um, probably more so than, than it was on me. Um, I had a lot of time to think about it, um, but it was also always that distance uh, that separated us, but she stuck with me <laughs> through the whole trip. Um, I actually proposed to her on the trip. It was a really romantic mm. part of the book, um, but uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll leave that if someone wants to read and, and check that out. But um, yeah, we gotta yeah. leave some of the good stuff in there. We can't talk about everything. Exactly, and so yeah, so she stuck with me. Now we're we had a we have a daughter. We're living, got married, um, and we're we're living uh, together in Canada. And so we've been together for a number of years now. And uh, yeah, our daughter's about uh, just under two years old. So. Uh, more comfortable life together here now and sometimes we do remind each other you know uh of the days where we you know used to miss each other so much now we see each other every day especially with covid yeah she's telling you to go on a bike ride soon or something oh <laughs> 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 um, no but i i have a fun theory about this because like you're saying you're gonna bike around the world uh you know it took you two years right yeah. to come back uh to your like to finish your goal it's kind of like you're going to war right like you're going to war and Eliza's like, okay, if he survives this, I'll marry him. <laughs> and then you came back all chiseled and then you're like, oh, let's get married now. It'll be like this forever. Don't worry, babe. And then, you know, you got it done. <laughs> Survive the war. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't compare it to going off to war in any way. I was like more of like a choice in my in my opinion. Well, but I mean, you're gone I was, for a long time, right? So um. yeah, and 
I think she, yeah. And if we can get through that in the, the distance, and honestly, I think we had some of the conversations that we had, um, and because we are so, for example, like in our own, you know, space and, and time uh, with each other, that there was no, none of these other distractions. Um, I mean, we could just be our true authentic selves in many ways. And so I feel I got to know her more because of that and there wasn't all these other distractions going on around and when we were able to have conversations yeah there was a part in the first third of the book uh, i think you were um maybe just after afghanistan or something where you really had like a desire to quit and then you called her uh, and then she was like no you're not quitting like that's incredible support yeah and obviously she in her heart though she did want me to quit and i won't tell like the details of like you know how you know what made me want to quit in that moment there was many times where i wanted to you know give up but there was kind of some turning points within the journey where i was like okay i could actually quit now and no one would judge me and so like you know i could kind of get out my jail out of free card you know, get out of jail free card um and so um yeah so the the support that she gave me uh she she sometimes i thought believed in the trip more than i did yeah well i mean that's amazing you want people to get your back like that um, so let's let's talk about the trip. What what would you say your top uh, three countries that you cycled through or visited? Uh, if you if you could just, I'm sure you could you're gonna name a few, but tell us about some of your favorites, maybe. Yeah, and so I'm gonna take this in like a, a little bit of a different direction. I would say uh, I like different countries for different reasons, and so um, maybe for like for sites, I will say my top country. Um, would be like Kyrgyzstan uh, so beautiful like everywhere I looked 360 degrees around me like beautiful snow-capped mountains um, and just like wild horses run, running around wow. and, like it was and like just like living and like uh, getting to camp out with like the the nomads that live there in their yurts was like it was a magical place it's really hard to get to it's like middle of central Asia so not the most like you know trod along path but beautiful um i would say for food definitely india like so and like a close second mexico like i have to say that as well um but like eating the local indian food and like traveling through india for almost it was about two and a half months or so um incredible because their food i mean is so diverse and so different depending on, on the region that you're in one region i'm eating like uh this these delicious foods off of like banana leaves and like all these different sauces and that are like when in the, in the south then another region I'm eating like uh like what you see in like a typical Indian restaurant you know with like the 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 uh the curry with the naan um and like freshly baked like right made like it's in its own element it's it's so different uh, than I think um you know the I would say the Indian food that we're sometimes accustomed to here um, especially too, I would say like the Chinese food that we see here in Canada, typically, um, unless you go to like the bigger cities, I, I would say, but, um, it was awesome in terms of the food and I can eat a ton. Um, and then just like the people, um, I would say, um, so, you know, uh, Kyrgyzstan for like sites, I would say, you know, India for the food and then for the people, I would say, uh, Sudan. Um, because um, it, they were some of the kindest people I met on the entire trip. A close second would be actually the Afghanistan people. Um, and just, it seemed that always people went above and beyond to help me, even though, you know, I either, they, they had no reason to help me, or um, it was also, um, I think it was just, 
in, in, the, in the countries where I was traveling there through specifically Sudan and Afghanistan, people realize that they need to rely on the kindness of, of those around them and support one another. Um, and so it was incredible to see um, and also knock down the stereotypes that we sometimes get in our minds of different countries around the world because um, the kindest country on my trip, though people are very kind in Canada and, you know, in the United States and, and um, you know, everywhere I went throughout the world, people were kind and friendly. There was just a different feeling there that I got. Right. Amazing. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, India and Sudan, uh, I mean, sorry, Sudan and uh, Afghanistan have gone through a greater history, right? So maybe that has a lot to do with uh, what type of people they become and how they need to rely on each other. Uh, I've never been there, but uh, it sounds amazing that what you experienced. Um, and one of the things I actually talked to you about earlier is I remember when I was a little younger too, I did like a little backpacking trip around Europe. I hitchhiked. And one of the things I remember is I do remember monuments I've seen, like you talk about looking at the Taj Mahal in India and a lot of other cool places. But one of the uh, most visual situations I was ever in had nothing to do with a monument. It was just like I was in some random spot, some really weird location. I was trying to make it over a hill or this or that. And could you tell us about like some of your most visual memories during this trip, like where that was, what you felt? Definitely. Um, and I will say my most memorable moments are never were, I mean, never from like a monument or like one of the sites I had to see. I always kind of called those like my place markers. Um, you know, like that was like, obviously if I make it to, you know, um, Machu Picchu, like it's like, it's like kind of like a, a waypoint or like a pin on a map, like, okay, I'm going to make, that's like my direction I'm going to go. Um, obviously don't discount those, those places are famous for a reason. Um, like, like Machu Picchu or the pyramids or, um, you know, um, the Great Wall or, and, and Taj Mahal were all amazing. I'm not <laughs> trying to sound spoiled here. Um, but uh, I would say, coming what you're saying, I, I would all totally agree. My most memorable moments were, for example, um, there's this one point in the trip. It wasn't um, like I would say the most beautiful part of my trip in any way. It's just being on this road in Paraguay where I knew it before I went on the road. And everyone always told me that the road, you know, ahead, the road ahead's flat. Everyone always told me the road ahead's flat. Like I was like, because I always ask, what's the road ahead like? Everyone's like, oh, it's flat because I always ask, is there any hills? Um, you know, what's the, what's the road like? And everyone told me the road's going to be flat in the Gran Chaco of Paraguay. And then I got there and it was absolutely flat. And for, it was about, I think it was about two weeks. There wasn't a turn in the road. So I would basically get on the road and bike all day long, not turn, not do anything. There was no hills. It was basically just flat for two weeks. And so I do, there's this moment where I remember just staring down the road after it was probably like a week of this. I'm just like, this is, I, I, I wish for flat roads forever. Then I finally got it. And then, and then there was too much of it. I was losing my mind. Um, and so that moment like sticks in my mind. Cause you know, you kind of get what you wish for in some ways. And so um, that always stick in my mind. Uh, another one, um, would, would definitely just be, uh, I know this is back to Afghanistan again, very, my time there is very vivid because I never seen anything like what I was experiencing there. Um, but just visiting um, one of the markets, it, they call it the um, uh, Feroshi uh, bird market. 
And so it's basically like stepping in a portal in time um, in this very old, old market. Um, you know, nothing has kind of changed in hundreds of years. Um, and, and besides people having like cell phones. And so, um, it was, uh, very, very cool. And there's like all these old, uh, wood bird cages that people, people could buy. Um, very, very like surreal experience and all these spices just piled up everywhere. Um, so I've never seen anything like that before. Um, and, uh, I would definitely say another one would be just mountain views in Peru. Um, and, and even in the Amazon too, not, not mountains, but just like the different example there, the kind of the other side of it, but just getting to the top of a mountain in Peru, where I probably biked up for all day long. I, I would typically start at the bottom of, of, of a mountain. Um, it seemed in Peru um, at the beginning of the day. And then I would probably, you know, at the end of, by the end of the day, probably five o'clock, I'd be making it to the top and then ride down for about another, another hour or so, two hours. Um, because some of the mountains would take me 60, 70 kilometers to go up. Um, <laughs> and so I just bike uphill all day. The only thing I had to do all day was bike uphill. <laughs> and so I would just like pedal, pedal, like so slowly, you know, and like cars would go past me so slowly. Um, and it was just like everything happened in slow motion, but, um, and it, sometimes I could see where I started my day, um, which was <laughs> so soul crushing but also so rewarding in some ways because you can see all the switchbacks um and so just like there's not one specific view but just like getting to the top and knowing i accomplished what i had set to do that day right that's amazing so uh what do you say to people that want to do like a trip like this um, I would say whether it's a trip or, or not, or like whether it's like setting a personal goal, it's like at, at back to the beginning of our conversation is to set the date, you know, and, and work towards those little pieces every single day. Um, and I, and I also would I also say, tell people about it. Um, because I think if you're authentic in your dreams and visions and goals, and then people will actually respond to you. Don't expect everyone to like believe in you, but they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll give you your, their advice. They'll, they'll tell you you're, you know, you're not thinking straight or whatever. Um, or like, they'll just laugh, especially with my bike ride. I got a lot of laughs, um, you know, <laughs> like, okay, whatever. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> like, um, but I would say if you do want to do like a big long trip or like, even like, you know, start um, your life over in some capacity, I think COVID has actually, uh, made a lot of people think about, you know, what am I doing? What's next? Mm. It's kind of shook a lot of things up for people. I know a lot of people have moved right now. Um, you're probably seeing a lot of that in your industry. Um, yeah, you know, a lot. A lot of movement, a lot of shuffling about, I feel like. Um, and so um, I would say it's it's to, you know, critically think about what your goals are for the future. Um, and you're only also going to live once. So, I mean, I know uh, Philippe, you did a lot of travel as well. I know uh, you spent a significant amount of time in uh, Mexico and other places as well. So um, uh, I, I think it's like taking the time to really reevaluate what you want to hold true and in your memories later on in life. Because um, obviously I can't do a bike ride when I'm like 85, I'll fall apart. Uh, I barely did it when I was 26. So, <laughs> and so it's like thinking, you know, what kind of memories do you want to have in your memory bank for, for later? Yeah. I think one of the important things to think about is that people are often, you know, if you look at modern timeline, people are trying to get married in their thirties, have kids, whatever. So, you know, um, doing something crazy younger in your days, 
Uh, and then, you know, when you get into our position, I got two kids, you got one kid, like all our free time is just making sure, you know, playing with the kids, entertaining them, you know, feeding them, making sure they survive. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, like it, life is not what it was 10 years ago where we can do something crazy. So yeah, when I've done my trips, uh, even some of them were like sometimes a little uncomfortable, this, that, the other. I really am fond of my experiences. I'm sure you are, especially now. I feel like I'm ready to have a quieter time in my life and to uh, let my kids enjoy, grow up, uh, have a good life. And I don't feel the need to do something crazy. So maybe that's like advice for people that, uh, you know, uh, want to do something crazy before things get a little bit calm in their life, right? Yeah. And now this is what I want is to be spending time with family. This is my next adventure. I, it's, it's, it's a different type of adventure because this is kind of, I got the other thing. I don't know how to say it like out of my system, but it's also, yeah. um, it's allowed me to, to really think critically about, you know, how I, I can inspire other people to, to kind of uh, set out on those, whether it's a trip or it's like an, a new adventure in, in their own, you know, everyday lives. Actually, be curious for you. I know you asked me about, you know, what are some of my your more memorable travel moments or views or sites? What are what are some of yours? Uh, yeah. So uh, I mean, I have a lot. Um, I did. Uh, uh, so for example, like uh, I'll give you uh, some of the things I think about. Like I've been to lots of places, monuments, seen statues. But when I was in Mexico City, I actually went to the main bus terminal, uh, and I wanted to take the bus to the Xochimilco pyramids. Um, it was like an hour bus right away from the capital. So it wasn't that far, but like the, the bus terminal was like, felt like a thousand buses in one place. And I had to like figure it out on my own in Spanish, uh, that moment right there and getting there and like coming back on my own and then coming back on my own to the next place. Like that was like such a crazy experience <laughs> to like run across like 10 buses. I'm like, is this my bus? Como estas? Xochimilco, <laughs> CC? You know, like, uh, uh, so like you have like lots of these like random experiences like that or like climbing a mountain in Barcelona or, um, uh, you know, uh, going to like, for example, in Asia, like you, you go to like Bangkok and you see the streets and there's so much, they're so colorful and the people are different. Or you and I, we both went to South Korea, not at the same time, but how colorful are those buildings, eh? Like so many lights everywhere. Um, so I really do think about the experiences of just walking into places, what you're thinking, meeting people. Uh, and of course, you like I've been in the Great Wall of China too, like that was fantastic. Um, but getting there is cool, like walking through the streets. Um, in, in your bookmark, I know you, you have a website now uh, that people can go and look some of your pictures, right? What's the website? Yeah. And so if you're really interested in photos, um, so it's right there. It's uh, on the back of the book. It's um, markqspeaking.com. Um, and so it's, um, I mean, the, the, the website specifically is uh, dedicated to if someone's interested in uh, having me for a, you know, a motivational speech. Uh, right now, obviously, those are all virtual online. Um, I do uh, kind of uh, leadership workshops as well as public speaking lessons. Um, and I've, I've been speaking for a number of years uh, professionally about, you know, um, about my bike ride, about like leadership development, those types of things. And so, um, you know, obviously that's part of the website, but also has some great photos. Um, and so um, for every chapter of the book, you know, if you flip to chapter, let's say, I'll pull one up here. Um, 
you know, chapter 20, 20, I don't know, let's see, 20, 32, let's go with 32, um, will be like Columbia. And so you can just uh, see all of the pictures from Columbia. So it's kind of like the way the book goes, it's kind of chapter by chapter. Um, and so if, if you want to see pictures from Paraguay, then you will look at Paraguay. If you want to see pictures from Kyrgyzstan or China, um, there's a number of different uh, chapters on China. So I think there's three at the beginning of the book. Um, and then, so you just kind of follow along, really. It's kind of like a follow the adventure through visuals. Um, if you buy uh, the ebook, though, for example, it's really easy. Um, obviously, if you're reading a book, you can't just hit the button <laughs> on the book. Um, but in the ebook, you just click the, the, the chapter title and it will take you right to the website. Um, so, who does, the voice, of, uh, who does the voice for the ebook? <laughs> so I'm uh, so I, I don't have the audiobook out right now. So I think it's people's personal preferences on their if they have that feature on like their Kindle or something. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure. And also, I think you can pay for like whoever you want to read your book. Really? I I don't know. Um, no, I don't have a Kindle. I don't know how that works. So I think some there's some features that will just read it to you. Um, but I think you know uh, if uh in a couple of months i hope to have the audiobook out um okay. you know something i'm kind of working on in the background right now yeah i i so i've uh, i gotta tell you something really nice because I, I started reading your book just like three days ago got halfway through it and i found it's actually pretty easy to read uh it's like an adventure book and it's very motivational but yeah good job like you made a you wrote a book that's like very easy to read like i was hooked i'm like okay let's go to the next chapter you know let's it, see what it, else is happening it reads pretty quickly and that's the way I wanted it. I know how I like to read a book. And so um, I helped kind of design the book itself. So um, is there's, and for me, when I'm reading a book, there's nothing worse than me feeling like I'm stuck on a page. And so uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because there is a lot of thought actually put into how I designed the book um, in that there, you know, I want people to not be squinting their eyes. So the, the font is fairly large. Uh, and it's only, it's only about 12 point, but sometimes, you know, you get a book, it's like size nine and you can't even see it. Uh, you have to hold a book close to your face. Um, and, and then, so uh, I feel it's fairly easy to read. It also reads pretty quickly. Um, and you're kind of jumping to the next chapter. Most chapters are like six pages, uh, I find, because I'm going from like country to country. And with 40 some countries, there's only so, so much uh, <laughs> I could get into every chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And I like your style, how at the end of each chapter, you you dedicate like a page or two for some kind of like uh, some word that you thought was important or associated with uh, uh, with what you felt like, you know, you, I was reading a chapter yesterday about the word stoic, how you were talking about how you can't really, you just can't be concerned about some of the things that are out of your control. Exactly. You, you can, with, uh, I'm a huge fan of stoicism. I actually have uh, one of these books. I read it every day. It's by uh, Ryan uh, Holiday. It's really great. It's called, oh, the, Daily, wow. it's called the Daily Stoic. And it's... Um, I picked the right word to mention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, you know, how do you know? Um, we didn't actually talk about that before. So, uh, and like each day is just like, this is a plug for his book. I mean, I don't get any royalties for that, but like Every day is just like a little snippet. And I think stoicism is really, um, it's really vital. Even it's not some old dusty thing like from the past. It's actually really um, vital for our modern world because there's so much thrown at us every day and there's only so much that we can actually control. 
Um, and so it's controlling how you react, but also controlling um, the things that you actually have the means to, you know, have power over. Right. Um, like, and that's your personal decisions, your personal reactions or non-reactions to things. Yeah. Like you can make a stoic decision to make sure you say hello to everyone that passes you by. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you can like, this is my thing. This is what I do. I say, I say hello and you don't need to get into it with them. You're just saying hello. You're being friendly. No, I, you know, I, I actually, you know, I, the, the title of the book, I didn't even know what the title was before, you know, obviously before you posted it, like I wasn't sure obviously it was going to be something about you, but I love when people say hello to each other. Cause I hate even just a simple, like two people cross paths on the, on the sidewalk and they just don't say hello to each other. You know, like I don't understand why people don't just say hi. It's, it's pretty, and I think this is when people need to say hi more than ever, um, because, you know, we're so, um, I wouldn't say, like, things are, are changing. I mean, it's, it's with, like, how, you know, our, our restrictions are, you know, it, it changes by depending on where you live, but um, connecting with people is, is so important, and we're not always able to say hello in person right now um, and have those full-on conversations, um, and that's for everyone's safety, but, um, you know, online, it's sending someone a note sending someone you know like i haven't seen you for a bit like usually we would hang out this weekend like this this is the the event we always go to together and so yeah. it's like connecting with people and uh even if it's just sending a message uh you know hey i've been thinking about you or like something like that yeah i think i think the quarantine has really hit uh, a lot of people hard um uh like people that are used to like uh meeting others as they're kind of like a way of being happy or in general right like people the more social you are the more happy you are is a rule of thumb, uh, but you suggesting that you should reach out to people that maybe even like are backing out in terms of how, you know, they're being more quiet, they're being more amongst themselves. You should reach out to them and say, hey, how's it going? You know, remember those times we had together, like it would have been nice. Just kind of like reflecting and keeping people in a positive mindset, right? Yeah, I think someone just, I mean, you know, on a weekend, maybe you normally go visit this person or like, you know, you go there or like this, our, our lives in many ways have like a cyclical thing with the seasons in Canada, I find. And sometimes you hang out with different people in the summer than you do in the winter. It's, there's, I don't know. Um, and so it kind of goes that way. And I feel, you know, we can kind of connect with people, you know, just a simple message. You can always get online um and, and connect with people that way um and so or just you know pick up the phone call the landline i don't know um and so um it's not that difficult it doesn't take much time of your day and it also makes you feel better and someone else feel better even if you're passing by someone on the sidewalk as you say and just say hey yeah like, i mean i mean the very least like a little head nod <laughs> <laughs> okay guys you heard it here folks Make sure you reach out to someone this weekend, this week that you haven't talked to in a while. Make sure them up, okay? Make sure they're okay. I think so. Uh, nice, yeah. One of the things I thought about when I uh, saw that you released this book is, how hard is it to write a book? Great question, Philippe. Um, it's not that easy. Uh, that's why, I mean, the, it is and isn't. It's easier than it used to be. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I think I didn't write a book years ago, so I don't know what the old process is like. I did try to go the traditional process. So um, to be completely transparent, this is a self-published book. Um, and I, but I did have a literary agent with, with this book. Um, it's just, um, you know, when COVID hit really the, the publishing industry slowed down even slower than they've already um, been going. 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. I got some really nice rejection letters um, from, and I got very close with some of the top publishers in the world, the top five in New York. I was seriously, I'm not going to name any names, um, but seriously considered for some of the, it was like, that's like a writer's dream come true. Like you make it overnight just by getting with one of those publishers. Um, but uh, it wasn't in the cards and I actually am grateful for it in a way because it allowed me to do it on my own terms. Um, of course, I had uh, two editors that gave me some incredible advice. Um, I had uh, support with the, um, with the cover of the book because I don't know graphic design. My original design is so, so terrible. Um, and so like- is that, I, is that on the website so people can have a good time? Uh, I, I should post that, the original. It was you just should. Like, it was, I think I just did it in like photo booth on my Mac. Like <laughs> do the best you can, but when you need to hire a professional, this is an example of why. <laughs> I, exactly. Like it, it's so much better. Um, <laughs> like basically they took, uh, her name's Larissa. She's wonderful. She took my vision and made it 10 times better. So hire people that, you know, when you, there's certain things with a book, I would say, spend the money on one would be, uh, professional editors. Another would be the cover because uh, you no, know, people say you don't judge a book by the cover, but they do. Um, and so I'm happy with how mine turned out for sure. Um, and way better than I could have ever done. Um, and uh, I mean, publishing a book for me, a lot of it, you know, it's been done for a number of years, the actual book. Um, so it took me about four years to actually get it out into people's hands. Um, but the actual writing, the majority of it has been done for probably over you know, over a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously I, when I went to go publish it on, with uh, Amazon and, 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 through, and through myself, um, I, was, I was, you know, looking back through it and, you know, a lot of edits and, you know, originally the book was uh, over a hundred thousand words. And so it's actually about 80,000 words now. Um, so a lot of stuff didn't make the cut. Sorry to anyone that like thought they'd be in the story or like, or like you didn't make it or like. I don't know so if you had things. to apologize to anyone, but I guess yeah. there's some behind the scenes stuff we'll never know about. <laughs> no, it's not even like that. It's just like not like good enough to be in the book. It wasn't like that. It was just like flow. A lot of times it's like some chapters were too long. And I yeah. talking about readability. Um, that's kind of some choices I had to make. And I mean, I still have those memories and stories. They're not gone away. It's just, um, yeah, you couldn't make a, you couldn't make an art and war, you know, book where it's like 1500 pages, like, no, (laughs) I want people to read it. I want people to be able to like hold it in their hand and not feel tired. And so, uh, I, 80,000 words is, is what, uh, a a typical nonfiction kind of story like this kind of, around good congratulations uh that's awesome and one of the things you mentioned is you mentioned like we talked about joked around hiring a professional when you need it these days people hire you for motivational speaking so tell us you know what life has has transitioned after your cycling trip um you know what are you doing now what's what's in future for for mark yeah good question as well thank you and nice transition was uh but um i think uh, a, a lot of what, I mean, what people are hiring me for to do now is either, you know, virtual presentations. Um, I'm quite comfortable with delivering, you know, um, specifically during COVID now, um, you know, a presentation online and it's very visual um, and a typical presentation for myself that's 30 minutes to 45 minutes um, would I be close to 200 photos. 
So um, I want to keep things visual. I want to keep things interactive. Um, a lot of my presentations and workshops are very interactive and not just me talking. I want to hear what other people think. I want to learn from other people's experiences. And I realize I'm just one opinion in the room. So, um, but in, if someone actually pursues me to work on, for example, public speaking, um, then obviously I, I want to share my, I want to share, you know, what I've learned in the, in the industry and, and with creating presentations and delivering presentations all the way from like doing it virtually to online and in person. Um, and, and it really depends on what the person needs and wants. It's kind of like a, almost like a therapy session in some way. Right. It's like, why are you coming to me? Why do you need um, public speaking? Or like, you know, are, are, do you have like some like fear of this? Or are you, you know, did you have a bad experience in the past? Well, so what, are some, more... what are some good reasons for someone? Like, what are some good reasons to hire a public speaker, for example? Yeah. So if you want to hire a public, a public speaker for your event, it's because that person is a professional. And so it's the same as someone, you know, creating a cover for a book. Um, you will go to the professional to paint your house kind of when, and we can talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Or you go to professional to help you sell your house <laughs> or like, you know, I think it's, it's finding everyone has their niche and their like area of focus. And mine would be public speaking, delivering presentations online in person. Um, and I feel I know I'm not an expert in this. I would say there's people that have dedicated their lives to it. Um, but I, I feel quite confident in the, in the realm of teaching public speaking. I work with a lot of young people, um, who are like in, you know, in high school and have like a real terrible phobia. Um, and I think it's a topic and it's not actually any fault of anyone's own. It's a topic that's not typically taught in school. You're just told to do a presentation, but you're never actually taught how to do it. You're yeah. just told the presentation needs to be 10 minutes. It's due March 30th and, uh, be ready to go. You can use slides if you want. That's kind of like what we were told, really. Yeah, I think if you can uh, help uh, the young people learn to present something in their adulthood without drinking a bottle of vodka like our buddy Joe, <laughs> that is the right way to go. <laughs> yeah, and so legitimately, I mean, there is a fear. It's a glossophobia um, of public speaking, um, but it's, it's also a lot of it, too, in people's minds because they were never properly prepared. Right. Yeah. So how can people uh, reach out to you? What kind of platforms do you want to plug in here? Yep. So uh, yeah, the best way to reach out to me would be you can log on to my website, markqspeaking.com. Um, and there there's like, you know, if you're interested in speeches, workshops, public speaking, there's all those direct routes and it basically filters back to myself. Um, or you can reach out directly at markpetrocci at hotmail.com. Um, last name, Q-U-A-T-T-R-O-C-C-H-I at hotmail.com. I'll make sure I put the, your name in, uh, <laughs> in the subject. So people, uh, I'll put your email. You want me to put your email in there too? Yeah, you can put my email. Um, also my name, Mark Catrochi, my main platform will be Instagram, uh, or Facebook. So you can just search me there. Um, picture me on a bike. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the best way to reach out to me. If, if you want to learn more about like, kind of like that realm, or like, even if you need someone for like a specific, um, event coming up, you know, um, I also do like things like lunch and learns. That's actually the most popular thing um, because people are busy in their daily work, but it's like everyone wants to sign up for like, uh, you know, a 40, 30 minute presentation with some Q and A. Um, and then it's also it gives people, I think something right now to look forward to, because I feel if we're working, some organizations are fully remote um, and it's not just another meeting. It's also just like a time to kind of like kick back and be entertained as well. 
Yeah. I see my yeah, I see myself as a in many ways as an entertainer. I compare myself to a musician or an actor in, in many ways. Right. Uh, I'm not if they're acting, but like it's in, in many ways, um, public speaking is a form of entertainment. No, people need that. People need to hear some great stories that keep us going and keep us motivated in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that more than ever right now. I, I, by the way, I do love how you have two separate maps right behind you, just to make sure that everyone's always making sure that you're a world traveler. <laughs> they know. It. This is like my office. Yeah. I can, maybe I, I, I and uh, this actually I mean, can lead to the next thing. I mean, obviously, this is I'm still trying to figure out things because I've just moved in, probably like you know a month or so ago. Um, yeah, congrats on the new house. No, and and actually, you helped me with that. So. <laughs> Um, and it's because, uh, and the reason why I actually reached out to you is, is in, in terms of like, you know, real estate, because you made the process the first time incredibly easy. Um, yeah. Uh, we, so we, I can, I can share a bit of the backstory and how that came up. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you, you, your, your bike travel, your book, we all congratulate you, but you also got a new house and you moved into a new area and you hired a great realtor <laughs> and we actually had some great stories. I mean, this podcast is talking about real estate stories and what you learn and you, ha we had some gems together. So why don't you tell us what you think and then uh, I'll add whatever I can after. Yeah. And so, um, you know, after I got back from the bike ride, um, you know, we want to start our life and, you know, it, as a new married couple, we had just got married after I got back from the bike ride, we flew to China and then it was like, hey, life has to start. Um, and then so we were, you know, renting for a bit. And I felt like I was kind of like spinning on the hamster wheel, especially in Toronto. I knew that if I if I didn't get in, I thought like, you know, like there's, I'm just, I have the means to get in. And and so, um, and I'm fortunate uh, that I had saved uh, in a, and I wouldn't need to go into that, but like um, I had had the means to get into the into the market barely um, in, in Toronto. Uh, you remember what that was like? Um, I do. Yeah, and so there were some pretty crappy buildings we showed you at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. But fortunate enough to be able to. So I mean, to backtrack a bit, I I was like, okay, I'm looking into this. We're kind of serious about it, you know. Uh, who do I know? Like, I want to go with someone I know I can trust. There's so many. There's so much noise in the industry, right? Um, and so send you an email or, or message, I think it was on Facebook or something like that, private message. And, uh, you know, you like, okay, let's get together. Let's talk about it. Um, I can show you some options. I kind of gave you what it was possible, but you made the whole process like really straightforward, really easy. You didn't sugarcoat things. You just told it like it was. Um, and we had a lot of fun doing it. I don't think, I wouldn't say like you treated me any different than I, I think you would treat a normal client. Um, in terms of like, you know, we have some history, but it's also, you know, I am not just there to waste time. I want to buy a home. Um, and so um, it was, it was really uh, good to make the process a lot of fun um, because I, I would say, I don't know a lot of other real estate agents, but very laid back in terms of like, you know, uh, walking us through the process and taking the time and care. Um, but it was also, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the easiest process too, because we didn't have a lot to work with. And we were mm -hmm. like, you know, we were, you know, we did want to get out uh, quite badly uh, and closer to Toronto because of, you know, um, just being more in like the beating heart of like, you know, where my work was at the time. But it was also um, finding something that we could call like a home yeah. and, and feel like this is our home and this feels like the right choice. And then 
when you showed us the one uh, spot in uh, in Scarborough, it was uh, like right away. We're like, this is it. This is the spot. Can we put an offer in? And we did. And we pretty much signed the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, I think we put an offer right away and we convinced them to meet us. And uh, yeah, I think was, we got like a couple of thousand bucks off when we were willing to pay like full price. And yeah. it turned out to be okay. Yeah. I guess I think, you know, I know you're, you're, you're sugarcoating me here, but I do feel like uh, taking a client from uh, the first conversation to the time they get their keys is kind of like you riding a bike. So <laughs> you got this down now pretty good. Um, yeah. And actually, so you, three years passed by and this year you sold that condo and you moved out to a nice house um, closer to the auto area. So you're close to your family, but we do have some good stories when you, we had to sell that condo. Um, one of my favorite stories of the year I think I actually talked about this story in the podcast, but just, but since you're on here, uh, we can get your perspective. It was a good time. So you have this, uh, you have this condo in the Scarborough area. And when we agreed, we made the plan uh, to sell the condo. Um, you know, obviously first thing I told you to do was to get it painted. So we got, we made sure we got a professional painter coming. It only cost a thousand bucks for the whole place. And it really made a huge difference when the photos and videos but the next thing we did uh, is we had to figure out where we're going to put the key. In any condo, there's a, normally a spot in a lockbox. But in your building, they banned lockboxes on the property. <laughs> uh, that was like the bane of like, I was like, what, what do you mean? And, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, everything's going well. We're going to get it painted. It's going to look great. And, you know, uh, my wife even said, like, why didn't our house look like this the whole time we lived here? <laughs> <laughs> So she's a little bit like jealous of like yeah. what it could have looked like. <laughs> like not like it was bad. It was just yeah. like so much brighter and nicer. Um, Live and learn. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, with the lockbox, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's typical of condos. And you maybe definitely you, not. Yeah, and usually there's like a wall where it's just like there's like so many of them. But I think they got fed up with them being everywhere and people not coming back for them that they just, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they decided that there's no lock boxes, but then, um, you know, it ended up being, you know, the local dollar store decided to, I don't know how that deal went down between the, the condo and the dollar store, but it ended up being, that was the only spot that it could be located. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was a legit setup when you went in there, it was all organized and, you know, it was, uh, you know, they took business cards and they did everything, you know, by the book that you, I guess you'd do, but <laughs> they had terrible hours. <laughs> yeah. So I went in there, uh, talked to the owner of the, of the dollar store and all good. You register the lockbox, you put, you put in a spot on the wall, right beside like the Christmas cards and whatever. And <laughs> Uh, but his hours were 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, you know, you couldn't come before that because it's closed and you couldn't like pick up the key at 530 and bring it back at 601 or else it'd be closed. Yeah. So people really had to come between 1130 and 530. And I think and Sunday was 11 till 3, which is like the busiest day probably. <laughs> like, so it's like, I called you right away. And I'm like, we have this problem. We had a good laugh about it. There was an Asian supermarket right there, and the only thing Chinese, uh, obviously well played by you, uh, is that she has everyone, she knows everyone in the supermarket, right? And then she uses the online uh, app to talk with them, uh, WeChat, I believe, right? 
Yeah. And so essentially like, you know, she became friends. We lived there for like three years. He uh, went to the store quite often and, you know, befriended some of the people. She's a very nice and my wife's very nice. So she, you know, we became friends over the years with the, with the ladies at the cash as well as uh, some of the other uh, store employees. And, you know, she said, we just said, you know, your, your hours are like awesome. They're like nine to nine. Um, can we just leave them with you <laughs> instead? And so we had, unfortunately we had, you'd already, paid to put the the lockbox at the other store but it was like our backup in case this other plan didn't work and because i we were we were not going to be in the area it wasn't like i could come by and just unlock the door or let someone in um we weren't going to be in the scarborough area and that's better to have people look and then you know especially if it's going to be a busy showing because there was yeah. a lot of people through um and so we, we sorted that out with her um you know gave her a nice thank you afterwards because there was like people always stopping by but no, we it worked quite well. So, so just to give you guys perspective, um, normally when you when you book an appointment, it says, okay, here's the time, it's confirmed, the lockbox is here, and you know, in the part of the building, and here's the code to open it up. Uh, yours, whenever someone booked an appointment, was go to the Asian supermarket and go to cash register too. <laughs> and cash register number two ask for fong yeah and ask for fong who yes, was okay. happy somehow she was working every day from nine to nine so that yeah. worked out okay it works long hours uh and uh we we're very grateful for, for her yeah. um my wife still chats with her now and again too so that's nice yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 she deserves something nice uh you know, Christmas present or something because of that. Yeah, we definitely that. are because uh, the first person in uh, to our home ended up being, uh, you know, the person that did purchase the home. So it was, yeah. uh, it was uh, nice that we could have, you know, the quick showings and, and more hours available for people to actually see the, the condo. Yeah. And these days, like there's so many people looking to buy. It's a, such an attractive market, like in terms of um, the like it's a seller's market. So um, although you, you got like four offers, you got a lot more than, than asking. Um, you also moved out to your parents' house, I believe, uh, even with a baby and wife, and we just left it vacant. Like people could just go right in. And then after a few days, it just sold uh, very quickly. So you could come back and, and live your life. And that's a tip I've been telling a lot of people these days. If you have the ability to just go uh, for like a few days, uh, listed at a reasonable price and let the market take over and then you don't have to deal with anyone coming in out of your house uh, due to all the COVID fears right and I, I think that was that was like honestly the the easiest thing i especially you know um we're very you know cautious with with COVID and and specifically my wife too like we she's i mean coming from china she saw this coming before a lot of people i think kind of saw the writing on the wall in many ways what's going on in china it's going to be here soon um and in, in canada um and so i mean we did take the proper precautions and by not being there it also made our you know family safer um right. and obviously all in in the in in the condo you know it was kind of like uh you know, there's hand sanitizer there was kind of like leave your business card uh, so we know it's been in kind of thing so um yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it couldn't have worked out any better, honestly. And then, as you said, we got to go back and kind of live our life for like the next couple of weeks before, while we made the move, I would also note that we did take a big chunk of things out. 
um, to kind of like, there was obviously like, there was the bed there and like the, our child's like, crib and, um, you know, like a couch and like a desk. But other than that, like all the little clutter was, was all gone. Yeah, you do, you do got to declutter it uh, for the best results, right? Like if you can, you can't, but um, if you can, especially if you're moving, right, you can just take the stuff and pack it up. Uh, sometimes people have garages or whatever, or, you know, your family's close by, you can just take it out, just get it ready for the next place. And then it'll be easier to show and uh, you'll get more money and people will buy faster. And that's what you want, right? Um, exactly. And then that allows you to do the things that you want to do with that extra money. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're going to celebrate a new Christmas in your new house. And yep. actually in the book, it says that you didn't celebrate Christmas for quite a few years. I think like three or four years in a row without your family or something like that. Yeah, essentially. I mean, it was my, the, it was about four years before I was actually probably the fifth year I was able to have like a Christmas with my family. And that, that was a personal choice that not that like, I didn't want to be with them. It, it was, it was like, I got a job in China. Um, and at ch my longest holiday was typically you know, in the summer, which is summer break or um, Chinese New Year, I would I would get a week at Christmas. That's not enough time to fly back to Canada, do all the Christmas stuff, and then yeah, back. So it was two years while working in China that I missed the the holiday, and then two years on the bike ride. One was spent in India, one was spent in Peru. Um, so it was just a bit of a different time for me. Um, and then it really makes you appreciate, you know, as I'm coming back to Canada on the bike really makes makes you appreciate all the things that are what we consider normal yeah. um and so it kind of like you're looking at old things with new eyes or and and it's um i think sometimes you know it doesn't mean you need to go uh, move around the world to appreciate canada i think it's just a matter of perspective yeah just appreciate where you live but uh now congratulations you get to appreciate christmas this year uh, with your family and your new house yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a blast. Uh, you know what you're going to get, Amelia, already? Uh, yeah, uh, we have some of our, all the shopping is pretty much done. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you, <laughs> the little kids, you know, this is like her, I guess this is her second Christmas. So um, she thinks she's, she knows who Santa is. So, um, you know, she calls him Ho-Ho. So <laughs> it's, she's, it's kind of funny that, you know, yeah, we're developing our own traditions now that, you know, I kind of look back on with my family. So it's uh, kind of mend melding those things and developing your own ways of doing things. Um, yeah, it's good. Awesome. Awesome. I, mean, I owe a lot of, you know, just to say again, I owe a lot of like, you know, um, where I am and, and uh, you know, just like the comfort of my family uh, to yourself, uh, being able to make the process easy and straightforward, but also um, just, um, you know, helping us to get something that we wanted as well. Well, Marcus, so you're a past client. Uh, you're actually going to get a very nice Christmas card that I'm about to send you in the mail. Uh, so you'll get some nice pictures and you, I want you to send me a picture of the whole family at some point, whenever you get a second. It's, it's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. Thanks a lot for being on the show, uh, my podcast. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing more about you and what, what, what brings you, what comes to you in the future. Uh, and uh, keep us, keep in touch. Thanks so much. And it's been great. Uh, have, I know being on the show as well. And um, honestly, you asked some great questions and it's, <laughs> it's, it's some questions I normally don't get asked. So you're right. good. Uh, Promise you I would do that. <laughs> yeah. Pulling, pulling those things out of me. Um, and so this is one of the longer in-depth conversations. So thank you. All right, Mark. Take care. Thanks.
the way you, you don't show video on this, right? Yeah, I just... record the video, yeah. Oh, That's you do, too? Okay. I guess I could have put on a nicer shirt. Do you want to? <laughs> I because don't care. I was thinking that if, the, if I feel like it's a good episode, I'll put it on YouTube after. Sure. Okay. Um, maybe I should... Uh, I'll put on a collar shirt so I don't look... Do you want to go shirts <laughs> off? Yeah, no shirts yet. 